Hello and welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brandon Black, and today's episode is very special because we talk about animal welfare as well as the responsibility that comes along with raising animals. And to help us with this episode is none other than Temple Grandin, who really should need no introduction, but for those of you who don't know, Temple Grandin is an American professor of animal science at Colorado State University, and she's one of the leading consultants on in the livestock industry on animal behavior, as well as an autism spokesperson. And she is just amazing. She's incredibly intelligent and she designed a lot of the things that we use today in animal handling and and, hus- and husbandry. And so this was a very special episode. It is very important for me and, and my small community here at, on this podcast to be able to, to get this interview in. It was such an interesting interview and I kind of wanted to put a disclaimer in because during the interview I sound very kind of un- uninterested or bored or kind of you know just not not usually myself. And I just wanted to clarify that I'm definitely not bored or uninterested. I was very interested in the conversation, but I was also very nervous and trying to keep my head in, in the interview and, and try not to um, get too excited about talking to Temple Grandin because, you know, she's she's been a bit of a um, an idol of mine since, you know, since I started learning about agriculture. And so I may come off as... as kind of, you know, mundane or, or not quite as, as excited as I usually am, but that's just because I'm trying to keep everything together and stay focused on the episode, and it just doesn't come across like I wanted it to. Her side of the interview is fantastic, but mine just wasn't what I was satisfied with. So just wanted to, to, to put a little disclaimer out there for you guys before you go into this thinking that I wasn't interested in the conversation, because believe me, I definitely was. And once again, thanks to Temple Grandin for doing the interview. It was a, it's such a huge honor to be able to talk to her about this, and yeah, I think it was really great. So without further ado, here's the interview. Animal welfare, and you said you're a student. Where are you a student at? I'm a student at the College of the Sequoias. At, the co- at a college. Okay, what are you majoring in? Ag education. Ag education. Okay. It's just kind of like, you know, long time. So ag education is what you're majoring in. Okay? That's right. Are you out of an ag background by any chance? Um, I did uh, FFA growing up, and I was always raised around dairies. Um, I wasn't, my family doesn't own farms or anything, but that's about the extent of my ag background. But you did some work in dairies when you were, uh, you have done some work in a dairy. Absolutely. Okay. All right. And so who are you doing the article for? Um, so I uh, host a podcast where I talk about ag issues, interview farmers, politicians, teachers, and just try to bring more awareness what to the ag industry. Have you already interviewed a lot of people already? I've interviewed quite a few, just local farmers. Okay. Alrighty. And, and so kind of the purpose of the podcast is to raise awareness to what's going on in the ag industry, kind of teach people where their food comes from. Okay. You know, a lot of people, one of the problems, is a lot of people uh, don't know where anything comes from. That's true. They totally, they totally are removed from the world of the practical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think it gets back to taking home ec out of the schools and welding and auto shop and sewing and cooking mm-hmm. and taking all these classes out of the schools. Because I think a lot of students today, they if you don't ever make things, whether it's cooking or whether it's welding, Mm. You don't understand that sometimes there's mistakes. It's not always easy making stuff. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And, and we've got, and, and it isn't a matter of bashing electronics. That's not the right thing to do. It's a matter, everyone's, you know, right now there's problems with like, some students have really bad writing and really blames it on texting. I don't blame it on texting. I blame it on a failure to teach, teach students how to write. Mm-hmm. Definitely. 
I mean, it, it's, it's a cop-out to blame it on texting. For you sure. Know, so it's, um, uh, one of the things I think it starts with is, I mean, we need kids need to have a garden. And mm. I can remember when I was a child, we planted radishes. They didn't come out very well. <laughs> uh, but you learn that, uh, yeah, you get uh, vegetables that come out of the ground or fruits come off of trees. Mm. Yeah. Just basic stuff like that. You've got kids in the city, maybe they think milk comes out of a factory. Oh, definitely. I've met people that think the chocolate milk comes that, from brown cows. I think cows. that's a problem. Mm. I think it's a real problem. Mm. Because if we're going to have sensible policy about what to do about stuff, the first thing is that people need to understand where does stuff come from. Exactly. Yeah, so that's kind of my, my role in this whole thing is trying to bring awareness to that sort of that background knowledge. Yeah, and I think the other things, I think kids need to get out and see and thing to edit them. But I think kids need to get out and see stuff. I can remember as a child going to a car factory. Right. You know, I, 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 I went to a newspaper printing plant, and, and uh, you know, it's learning where stuff comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never forgot my trip to the car factory. I think I was maybe 10 or 11 years old. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I remember going to Cotton Gins when I was little and seeing how all that, all the factory work that made uh, our clothes was made. It was really cool. Yeah, clothes don't just come out of uh, nowhere. No, definitely not. You see, that's the, that's the thing. I think there's a really basic problem on people not knowing where stuff comes from. Yes, no, I agree completely. Um, I'm a big, big proponent of getting hands-on classes back in the schools and that'd be some gardening and then you work your math mm. and reading yeah into the gardening yeah you know, no definitely cooking you've got to do measuring yeah for sure it, and, and you work your your math and stuff into that it doesn't matter just passing tests right yeah, that's that's actually a project that our schools around my hometown have been working on trying to bring more garden like and, and, and hands-on experiences into the younger schools well, and then, and then we can write about the gardens. We can mm. figure out, so do some math problems, like how much seed would you need to buy to mm. plant your garden? Yeah, definitely. Just basic math like that, always working, you know, some basic skills back in, like reading and writing and math. Mm. Yes, for sure. And then let's say you sell some of your produce, so you, have a, you set up a little store. Mm. And that teaches very basic stuff that I think a lot of kids today are not learning Right, I agree completely. But I think it's important in order to, that in the law with the gardening activity that we work some math into it. Mm-hmm. Okay, if we're going to plot a plot, uh, let's say, uh, you know, make a plot this size, I mean, what do we need to buy for fertilizer? What do we have to get for seeds? You have to buy that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, a farmer has to, like, plant, and then he sells his stuff. Can he make money on it? See, kids are not learning today just right yeah they need to be learning the practical right they're not learning that basic stuff no they definitely aren't you know and i work a lot with livestock and i get asked people ask me well how how do i get involved in the livestock industry because i came from a non-agricultural background Mm. i was exposed to it when i was 15 years old Mm. horses exposed really at 14 and cattle at 15 on my aunt's ranch right Actually, I heard in an interview that you were um, you didn't want to go to your aunt's ranch initially. Um, can you talk about why that was? I was scared. 
I was scared to go. I had problems with very, very high anxiety, and I was terrified to go to my aunt's ranch because mm. I would have had to get on a plane and fly all the way across the country from New York to um, Arizona. Okay. And I was really scared about going out to a new place, so they gave me a choice. I could go for a week and then come back home if I was hated it, or I could stay all summer. But when I got out there, I loved it. <laughs> this brings up another thing. There's nothing to do with egg. Is you're getting kids with autism and things like that where they're not getting out and doing enough things. Right. Mother gave me a choice. Not going wasn't one of the choices. <laughs> but if I absolutely hated it, I could come back in two weeks. Mm. Sounds like a fair deal. That was the right thing to do. Yeah. So when you got there, you realized you loved it. Um, what kind of pursuit or what kind of pushed you to find that passion to work with animals and to be outside and use your use your hands for things well, getting exposed well getting exposed to stuff i'm finding that so many students i asked somebody it might be in their late 20s or 30s how did you get into your career mm. they were exposed to a during a college internship mm. they did it as a summer job they had a friend that suggested they might try out this job in fact i have observed that a lot of good jobs that people get into not just an entry-level job like working at a fast food restaurant, but really good jobs mm-hmm. are go, they go in the back door. It's through, you know, contacts. Right. People you know. That's yeah. how people get into a lot of really good jobs. Right. Yeah, definitely. It's exposure. Mm. Well, I talked to a lady the other day, a high school graduate, um, and uh, she had a job working at Tanning Salon. I wouldn't consider that a really good job. But they trusted her to take the cash every day into the bank. Mm. Well, after doing that for a year, she got hired by the bank. Mm. And she's going to have a very nice career path. Yeah, definitely. Now, you see, my mind works in specific examples. So that's a specific example of taking a job I would not consider desirable, working in a tanning salon. Right. Uh, to a job with a really good career path, and she's already gone uh, two rungs up that career path already. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really good job. That's a specific example, and that's a real recent specific example. Yeah, that's great. That's not something 10 years ago. That's something now. Right. So do you think this exposure that you've been talking about would help students or young people reconnect with not only just with the workforce and being able to work with that, but just um, have you know better uh, a better understanding of how animals work and how nature works and how agriculture is, is more properly well, performed? We need to fight to keep FFA in the schools. We absolutely have got to fight to keep that. Definitely, I agree. I think it's essential. Mm. Absolutely essential. Because it not only teaches the egg, it teaches discipline, you know, they're always dressed so nicely. They learn how to do public speaking. Mm-hmm. They learn a skill like welding, and they'll have a job for the rest of their life. Yep. A job like auto mechanics, they'll have a job for the rest of their life. No matter what computers do, you're still going to need people to fix things. That's not going away. Exactly. And right now, and right now, we need people that know how to install solar panels because there's just been some fires. Right. And they were caused by the wiring not being done right. Mm-hmm. or some kind of bad connections. Definitely not installed right. Exactly. So do you think that, um, so obviously you're a proponent of FFA. Uh, do you think that FFA does Definitely. a good job of, of exposing these kids and kind of helping them understand the, the hard work aspect of agriculture and just life in general? 
well, I think the FFA program in general is excellent. Mm. But it's going to vary depending upon who the teachers are at that particular school. Mm. FFA, FFA overall, I think, is a fantastic program. But it's but it will be better in one school than another depending upon who the teachers are. Mm. Good teachers are just so important. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really important. And so one school may have a stronger program than another because the teachers are working hard on it. Mm. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I can't emphasize enough the importance of good teachers. Mm. They are so important. And you have students that are getting in trouble, and it could be that FFA teacher that can turn that kid around. Definitely. And give them purpose. That's for sure. Having worked with livestock my entire life, I know the FFA um, was a it was a good opportunity for me to learn responsibility and hard work and, and understand how animals work. That's right. But I've also seen students that go through the program that don't care, don't have as much ambition, and they even mis- mistreat the animals that they're raising as projects. Do you think there's a, a possible well, solution to this? Not acceptable. And when I was in high school, I was a horrible student in high school. I got kicked out of a regular school. <laughs> so I got sent to a boarding school for kids with problems. And I ended up running a horse barn for about three years. Mm. I cleaned the dime stalls every day. I put those horses in and out of that barn. I fed them. I was very proud of the fact that I basically ran their horse barn. Mm. Now, that wasn't studying. Right. But then my last year at the school, that's when my science teacher came on the scene and got me really interested in now studying and became a pathway to becoming a scientist. But doing those horse stalls every day taught responsibility. No, and, and abusing your animal is absolutely not acceptable. Right. No. And you see, this is going to get back to that the teacher uh, teaches the student. And I know there's been some stuff with cheating at shows, and it's not acceptable. Mm. Um, I just got back from the Colorado State Fair, and they had really strict signs all around where the junior livestock show was i walked through there yesterday mm. you know that abuse of animals or some kind of unethical thing with animals is not going to be tolerated right exactly i've also seen the opposite of that happen as well though so they have the kids that aren't as ambitious and don't care about the animal or don't understand that it's a living breathing thing that depends on them to survive but I've also seen kids on the other side that think that it is wrong or unethical for students to be able to raise animals because they should be let out in, into their own habitats. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I've got a lot of thinking about that since uh, half of all the cattle in this country and mm. in Canada go through a center track expense system I designed. I've designed the front end of the large beef plants. Mm. And so I have done a lot of thinking about that. And, you know, what is our place with animals? And I started learning more about agronomy. And I'm maybe kindergarten level of agronomy. But about three years ago, in our animal science department, they brought an agronomy professor in, best thing they ever did. And what I learned from that is the best soil that we have in Iowa and Illinois was created by herds of grazing bison. Hmm. And that the bison grazing, you know, cropped the grass and then the, the dense herd moves on, created our best farmland. Hmm. Animals are part of the land. We need to be getting the crops and the livestock together, get the, the livestock grazing cover crops, rotating crops, getting rid of monoculture. Every crop scientist, and I've talked to about 25 of them in private, they will tell you we should be doing crop rotation. Now, out in public, they don't want to lose their grant money. In private, monoculture, they'll just tell you it's bad. Hmm. You know, we need to be uh, getting the animals and the land back together, and then the animals, if we use them right, they improve the land. Hmm. That, and they... 
they can also help on some of the uh, uh, other problems with the environment. Uh, but animals are part of the land. Right. Yeah, but we've, we've got to give that animal a life worth living. And I'm concerned about a thing I call biological overload. And we do it to pets, too. Over selecting a bulldog to have a gigantic head, it can't breathe, it can't walk, and it can't have its babies naturally. Mm. That's a deformed freakazoid of a dog. Right. Uh, I have problems with that. And then with production animals, we have problems where you push the dairy cow so hard to make milk that she has a hard time keeping her body conditioned. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to look at moderation. What's yeah. optimal? What's, you know, moderation, mm-hmm. not maximum. Yeah, definitely. That's what we have to look at. That's what we have to look at. Do you think at and this... we need to be figuring out practical solutions for things. There's too much theory and not enough practical solutions. Yeah, I definitely agree. Do you think that our current agricultural systems in place are closer to moderation, or are we more on the extreme side, one way or the other? It depends upon where you're at. There's some very progressive stuff going on. I'm going to talk about some of the good stuff. I went to great seminars up in North Dakota, Mm. and they're trying to do some very, very interesting things with crop rotation and cover crops with cattle on it. We need to be doing more stuff, those sorts of things. Okay. Now, one of the worst things I heard about wasn't in this country. It was in Argentina. I had some people here visiting Argentina, and they were. T- and we just had some people here visiting Argentina, and they were telling me about how um, uh, all they do is raise soy there and nothing else. Huh. Well, that's atrocious. Right. And then they're putting Roundup all over it, and then that doesn't work, so they put three or four other chemicals on it. Well, that's crazy. And that's really super extreme. That's more extreme than anything that's happening in the U.S. Mm. That's an example of what not to do. And that's going on in Argentina right now. Interesting. That actually and brings... what they're digging up, and mm. guess what they're digging up? Do that is cattle pasture. Oh, wow. And that's going to be worse for, for the environment than the cows grazing on it. Yeah, definitely. So that actually brings me to another question I had. And that's a, do you think that... Other countries, or what? what's the comparison, the United States to other countries in terms of how we handle our animals and our agriculture as a whole? Well, I, that's kind of a big generalization. Uh, you know, the, um, the thing that I've seen on animal handling, it gets down to management. You've mm. got to make sure you don't um, understaff and overwork. Mm. Stockmanship doesn't get enough credit. A good stock person is a skilled person. And the research is real clear on this, that dairy cows that are afraid of people, pigs that are afraid of people, are less productive. Mm -hmm. There's scientific research on that. Good stockmanship matters. And it doesn't get enough credit. Yeah, I agree. Doesn't get enough credit. Yeah, for sure. What what do you think can be done to help, maybe, I'm not sure if education would help, but help kind of bring light to... Um, the people that are using the the extreme sides of agriculture, or rather abusing them, and kind of bring, you know... Well, the problem, the problem with some of the extreme stuff is in the short run, it makes a pile of money. Right. Short run, it works great. The long run, you wreck the land. Mm-hmm. That simple. Yeah. It's that simple. Um, you know, I think a better approach, and people ask me, I'm now 72 years old. I've been in the cattle industry for 45 years. Mm. And 
they asked me, well, how did you have influence? I would design something, or I would do something, and then I wrote about it. Mm. Writing was a very important part of my career. I started out one little tiny project at a time. And the way I sold jobs is I showed them my drawings and I showed them pictures of jobs. And then I would design something and then I would write about it. I think the same thing with some of the crops. You know, some farm up in North, North Dakota that's doing something really good, let's write about it. Mm. Let's tell about, here, here's something really successful that we're doing. Yeah, definitely. Writing, being good at writing is important. Mm. Yeah, for In other sure. Words, here's something we're doing that really works well. And then look at the production we're getting off of the land. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. going on in Argentina right now with soy is like beyond disgusting. Right, definitely. And it's way more extreme than anything that anybody's doing here. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, so leading, uh, kind of moving back into the the animal agriculture side of things, there's quite a bit of controversy right now on, um, well, especially in the United States and in, and in um, most of the United Kingdom countries, but on the ethicality of animal agriculture and a lot of the practices we use. There's people who say that it's um, it's unethical to do a lot of the things we're doing, um, and some people say it's well, more I ethical. Well, I think there's some housing system. There are some housing systems that need to get changed, mm-hmm. and the animals that have the biggest issues on that are the laying hen and the pig. Mm-hmm. Those are the animals where you've got the biggest issues. Okay. Beef, most of the problems you have with beef are just bad management. Right. So you, so for, for example, like um, California's Proposition 12, uh, would you think that was a, a, a step in the right direction for animal welfare? I don't, I don't discuss politics. Okay, fair enough. Okay, I think we'll leave that out. But basically, I did a survey years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, where this is before there were cell phones. I did this survey, but I think it's still true. I would let the um, computer on the airlines pick me out a focus group participant, and I talked to him. I was a professor of animal science, and I was working on some guidelines for standards for good pig housing. Mm. And I showed him some pictures of some of the intensive um, ha- housing systems, and, and uh, when they found out that a sow couldn't turn around in the stall for most of her life, two-thirds of the people did not like it. Mm. And the thing that's interesting is that that same result showed up on proposition, and it also showed up on some scientific surveys. Interesting. That's a degree of confinement that most people don't think is acceptable. Like I talked to one guy, he um, he had hunting dogs. He goes, I would put my hunting dogs in. Yeah, there's a point now to make the group housing system work. There's some pig genetics that will have to be changed because there's some um, lean lines of pigs that are lean and mean and fight a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's going to require a higher degree of stockmanship to make some of the group sow housing systems work. Okay. So what would you say would be the most important kind of contributing factor to a lot of the discoveries that are made um, with progression in, in technology and you know new practices and, and um, kind of changes that we make to the ag industry? Well, the big mistake that I made early in my career and the young people now are making the same mistake. Mm. When I was in my 20s, I thought I could build self-managing cattle handling systems. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and the thing I also found is selling the new system is a lot easier than getting people to manage it correctly. Mm. And I think that's still today. They want the thing more than they want the management. I see. The magic thing. Now it's going to be precision ag, where we can get all this data off of all these sensing devices. We can do wonderful stuff with this. Mm-hmm. 
but management still has to act on the information they get from it. I see. It's not automatic management, and that's not going to change. Right. And when I and I made the mistake of trying to replace management with engineering, I made that mistake when I was young. Mm. I had to learn the hard way that it did not work. So that brings up an interesting question. Yep. Um, what uh, changes do you see happening in the future of the animal agriculture industry? Well, there's going to—that's a really hard thing to, to say. Right. Um, there's a lot of new technology that's going to be coming in. Mm. But the thing I want to talk to young people today is get out and actually do stuff. Mm. Okay. No, and I think we're going to have to get away from uh, monoculture. Livestock is part of it. <clears throat> Chicken's going to be part of it too. Um, you know, the thing that's interesting about Roundup is I went and I found the original paper that should, that basically said that the weeds would never get immune to Roundup, and they gave all kinds of complicated reasons for mm. it. They were wrong. Now, if you rotate your crops more, then you don't need all this Roundup. You might need just a little bit of it. You mm. know, this brings up moderation. Right. Instead of banning it, instead of banning it, you use less of it, way less. Mm. That's, you see, that the solution, I think, to a lot of these problems is going to be something more in the middle. No, we don't get rid of all the technology. But it's not a magic cure-all. Right. It's just like you abuse antibiotics, then you get resistant organisms. Mm. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. No, we're going to be doing things in a lot more moderate. The sensible thing to do it's going to be somewhere in the middle between extremes. Mm. Yeah, that sounds right. And that's based on 45 years of being in the field. Mm. I'm still getting out in the field some. Not as much <laughs> as I used to, but I am still getting out there. Yeah. And my students are out there all the time, and I talk to them all the time. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So what are you thinking? You're going to go into ag education. <clears throat> I recommend it. Every time you get a chance to visit a dairy, a farm, a feedlot, pigs, chickens, whatever it is, the more stuff you get and see in more different parts of the world, you're going to find that a great educator. Mm, yeah, I try to take as many advantages of that as I can. The more stuff you can get out and see, I said travel is a great educator. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes when you get out and you look at stuff that's outside of your backyard or outside of your state, you're going to find out it's a big world out there. <laughs> That's for sure. And that sensible things to do are somewhere more moderate in the middle. Mm. Well, I think those are all the, the big questions I wanted to hit on. Um, well, I hope I gave you some insights. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate it. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I, if you have any more advice you want to give before I wrap up the episode here, no, then... What I think not do things. We need to keep FFA programs in, mm -hmm. and 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 um, we need to get students starting in the younger grades doing things like gardens. On, mm. um, uh, you know, for a lot of kids, raising an animal is a really good thing, and they need to learn that's responsibility. Yeah, but definitely. I also think that that kid, you've got some kids growing up today that that don't have a pet. Mm. I did a book signing about ten years ago, and I was shocked at what I learned during this book signing. I learned, it was at a big Costco store, and what I learned, uh, 
because I just started working the floor like a sales associate. I just started to work the Costco floor. And I started walking up to people. And I was shocked to find out that in South Denver, in a really nice part of town, that about 20 to 25% of young families with the kids just the right age had no pet of any kind. That's interesting. No parakeet, no gerbil, uh, no pet of any kind. I think that's really bad. That is weird. Yeah, and the reason I, I was able to, it turned out that, you know, the book signing hadn't been advertised very well, so it was going to be a real boring uh, day. Mm. So I just, uh, they uh, I, they couldn't get by me to buy groceries unless I approached, I approached them. I was talking to people. Okay. And, and I found out that, what I found out, I was working there, I was there for about seven hours, and what I found out, and I was shocked, was a high percentage, 20, 25%, I think it's a high percentage of young families in South Denver where there's no animals at all in their lives. Huh. Because I'd walk up to them and, and you know, these are families, you know, with 10, 7-year-old kids. Right. I said, I'm a professor of animal science. I have a book about animal behavior. Do you have pets? That was the 